Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Since envious, impious activities cause a body in which one suffers in the next life, why should one act impiously? Considering one's welfare, one should not envy anyone. For an envious person must always fear harm from his enemies, either in this life or in the next. Report by Śrīla Prabhupāda. Instead of being inimical toward other living entities, one should act piously by engaging in the service of the Supreme Lord, thus avoiding a fearful situation both in this life and in the next. In this regard, the following moral instruction by the great politician Chanakya Pandit is very meaningful. Jajya durjana saṅsāragam bhaja sādhu samāgamam one should give up the company of devils, demons, and non-devotees and should always associate with devotees and saintly persons. One should always act piously, thinking that this life is temporary and not be attached to temporary happiness and distress. The Krishna Consciousness Movement is teaching all of human society this principle of becoming Krishna Conscious and solving the problems of life forever. As your younger sister, this poor girl, Devaki, is like your own daughter and deserves to be affectionately maintained. You are merciful and therefore you should not kill her. Indeed, she deserves your affection. Sri Shuka Uvacha Evam Samabhir Vedayar Bhodyamano Vidaruna Nanyatvarthatakorobya Purushadhan Anubrataha Shukadev Goswami continued, O best of the Kuru dynasty, Kamsa was fiercely cruel and was actually a follower of the Rakshashas. Therefore, he could neither be pacified nor terrified by the good instructions given by Vasudeva. He did not care about the results of sinful activities, either in this life or in the next. Nirbandam tasyatam gyatva vichintyana kadundavi Raptam kalam pratibhyodham idam tatra When Vasudeva saw that Kamsa was determined to kill his sister, Devaki, he thought to himself very deeply. Considering the imminent danger of death, he thought of another plan to stop Kamsa. Purport. Although Vasudeva saw the imminent danger that his wife Devaki would be killed, he was convinced of his welfare because at his birth 
The demigods had played drums and kettle drums. He therefore attempted another way to save Devaki. Mrityur bhudi matapoyo Yivar bhudi balodayam Vidyaso na nivartetha Naparados didehanaha As long as he has intelligence and bodily strength, an intelligent person must try to avoid death. This is the duty of every embodied person. But if death cannot be avoided in spite of one's endeavors, a person facing death commits no offense. Purport, it is natural for a person facing untimely death to try his best to save himself. This is one's duty. Although death is sure, everyone should try to avoid it and not meet death without opposition, because every living soul is by nature eternal. Because death is a punishment imposed in the condemned life of material existence, the Vedic culture is based on avoiding death. Everyone should try to avoid death and rebirth by cultivating spiritual life and should not submit to death without struggling to survive. One who is not trying to stop death is not an intelligent human being. Because Devaki was face to face with imminent death, it was Vasudev's duty to save her, as he was trying his best to do. He therefore considered another way to approach Kamsa, so that Devaki would be saved. Om Ajnan Timidandasya Yananjana Chalakaya Chakshurun Militam Jena Chasmoy Sri Guru Venamam In this verse, these verses we have read today, We find Vasudev continuing according to his capacity to stop this atrocious crime which is about to be committed by Kamsa. Yesterday we were describing in class how significant the scenario of this particular pastime is because it's very illuminating on how important it is to be receptive for transcendental knowledge to take its roots in one's heart. We were describing yesterday how this is practically an identical scene as we find Bhagavad Gita being spoken. Bhagavad Gita was spoken on a chariot in the holy place of Kurukshetra. Vasudeva is preaching to Kamsa on a chariot in the holy place of Mathura. It was being spoken at a time 
when there was about to be great violence and bloodshed, both instances. And also, Arjuna was about to have to kill his own cousins, cousin brothers, and Kamsa was about to kill his own cousin sister. It's the exact same scene, practically speaking. And the same words that Vasudeva are speaking are practically identical to the instructions at the beginning of Bhagavad Gita in the second chapter. The difference was Arjuna, because he was humble, he was able to hear Krishna's instructions. He was able to assimilate the words of his guru and change his life. And Kamsa, same atmosphere, same words, Krishna's words. But he was not able to hear because he was proud. He was attached due to pride to the temporary things of this world and too much attachment one cannot hear. Prahlad Maharaj explains in the Bhagavatam that if one is too much attached to false prestige and temporary enjoyment that even by hearing good instruction from others, even by reflecting on good instruction within one's own mind, even in the association of sadhus hearing the words of Godhead, one can never understand. One can never change his life. Prabhupada quotes this verse again and again and again. That as long as we are too much attached to our false pride and our material enjoyment, nobody can help us. Why? Because we're not allowing. That was the difference between Kamsa and Arjuna. Arjuna was willing to say, Krishna, how can I serve you? What can I do? I don't know what to do. I'm a fool. Kamsa still thought, I know. I'm the controller. <coughs> and even Vasudev, who was a most learned Paramhamsa, perfectly repeating the words of Godhead. I mean, for the last 5,000 years, people have been ultimately inspired by his preaching in this, in this chapter of the Bhagavatam. But Kamsa, even after all this good preaching, he was still determined to kill his sister because of his material attachment and his pride. Therefore, Vasudev decided, there's no use preaching to this rascal. I've tried. I have to think of some other method. And it is described here that it is the duty of a person, as long as one is alive in this world, to do whatever he can to maintain his body. It is not maya. If we are sick, we must, it is our duty to try to make the body better. If we are... Uh, cold, it is our duty to keep the body warm because this body is Krishna's temple. If you abuse what belongs to Krishna and you cannot utilize it properly in his service, that is an offense to God. It is described here to neglect the body is offensive to Krishna. 
But if death is inevitable and you cannot avoid it, uh, then one should be very grateful, peaceful, happy to welcome death. So Kamsa, or Vasudev, understanding this principle, he knew that there was no danger for himself. It was a danger to Kamsa for committing this atrocious activity and it was danger to Devaki. And ultimately, if Kamsa were allowed to do like this, it would interfere with the advent of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So therefore, Vasudev was engrossed thoroughly in pure devotional service in trying to stop this atrocious act of murder. And therefore, he is saying whatever has to be said just to stop it. <coughs> Prabhupada used to tell us, do the needful. That means utility is the principle. There are four principles that this Krishna consciousness movement is based on. Purity is the force. Books are the basis. Preaching is the essence. And utility is the principle. Purity is the force. We must understand by following the four regulative principles. We do not further contaminate ourselves. By chanting the prescribed number of rounds every day of the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, we cleanse ourselves, we purify ourselves. So through the process of following regular principles and chanting the holy names properly, this is what gives the force to this movement. Purity is the force. Books are the basis. Srila Prabhupada spent most of his life translating and commenting on the Vedic literatures. And at this time, Srila Bhaktipada is spending most of his time simply writing books. And these books are not simply meant to distribute. They are meant for the devotees to read. If they do not read and understand these books, if they have any capacity to do so, then their intelligence is certain to be bewildered by Maya. And not only that, but how will we be able to convince others unless we are convinced ourselves and we learn from the previous acharyas through their books how to convince others? So therefore, books are the basis, the basis of our faith. It is said by the acharyas, the faith comes by hearing in the association of devotees. And where does that hearing come from? Hearing means hearing what is repeated from the scriptures. In other words, if it's not coming from the Shastra, it's not worth hearing. So books are the basis of our faith, the foundation of our movement. <coughs> Preaching is the essence. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he established his principle that I am the gardener and I have come to distribute the fruits of love of God but I have so many fruits I cannot 
I cannot give them all out myself. I am pleading with my devotees to kindly help me. And when Srila Haridas Thakur saw the lamentation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu upon seeing the conditioned souls in their suffering condition of ignorance, Haridas Thakur pacified Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He did everything within his power. My Lord, please understand that by, the, by your coming and spreading the glories of the Holy Name, the whole universe will be delivered. Not only did he speak this, but he gave his life to spread the glories of the chanting of the Holy Name. The essence of spiritual life is what? To please Krishna and to please Guru. And there is no better way to please Krishna and please Guru than assist them in their mission. Why does Krishna come to this world? He has no business here, save and except to show mercy to the conditioned souls, to preach to them. When Krishna appeared, by his actions, he was preaching to the conditioned souls, come back to Goloka Vrindavan, it's a better place. The tenth canto of the Bhagavatam is Krishna's Leela, come to this world simply for the purpose of preaching. Preaching to the devotees to inspire them to be stronger and to come back to Godhead and preaching to the demons that this is not where you want to be. And when Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita, the Uddhava Gita, he's preaching. And the great souls who come to this world, they have no business in this material world except one, by their example and by their words to preach. Even the Babaji's in Vrindavan, what business do they have in this material world? They're showing a particular standard to try to set an example for others. But even more magnanimous than them, according to our acharyas, is to go out and somehow or other reclaim the fallen souls on behalf of Krishna. There is no better way to please Krishna than assist him in his mission in this world. And to please Krishna is the essence of spiritual life. So therefore, preaching is the essence. And utility is the principle. Utility means do the needful. You have to apply according to Kaladesha Patra, according to the time, according to the place, and according to the persons you're speaking to, you have to present this transcendental information in such a way that it can be comprehended. And in such a way, we can also properly advance in spiritual life. Therefore, we find that many great acharyas, according to the particular time and place in history, they present the same message, but in a different way. That is utility. That is practical. Because after all, if people are not willing to open their hearts and open their ears to hear, then what is the use of anything we say? We're not here just to show people how learned we are. We're not here to show people that we're good devotees. We're here to change their hearts. What does it take to change their hearts? The great acharyas, they will do anything, say anything, if it will help a person become Krishna conscious. 
we find Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, who is the pioneer of this worldwide Krishna consciousness movement, in many of his literatures, when he's speaking in the English language to the scholars of the West, he says things in such a way that none of the previous acharyas presented things. He's saying the same truth, but he's presenting it just so that they will not, he, he, the fifth canto. He didn't say it wasn't historical, but he did, says, he did say it was figurative and symbolical. So naturally the Western mind would say, well, that means it's not historical. He didn't mention anything historical, not historical. Figurative, symbolic. In this way, oh, then I don't mind reading the Bhagavatam. This is completely contrary to all scientific knowledge, this fifth canto. And if I have to accept that this is the word of God, then I have to reject the God of this Bhagavatam. So all the beautiful treasures of the essence of spiritual life and pure love of God, they were reject re throwing the baby out with the bathwater just because they couldn't accept the fifth canto. Either you have to accept it all or you can't accept any of it. So practically all Western scholars were giving up any study of the Bhagavatam. So Bhaktivinoda said, no, this fifth canto is, is figurative, but it's symbolic. The descriptions of hell, the descriptions of the... Oh, it is? Oh, then I can read the Bhagavatam. Then I can understand it in this way. And when they read it, what happened? <laughs> they became devotees. Because their hearts changed. What is the purpose of a preacher? To get people's hearts to change. preaching that Srila Bhaktipada is doing in the West. There's no difference in the philosophy, there's no difference in the essence, but utility is the principle. Presented in such a way that people are willing to hear, willing to open their hearts. When Srila Prabhupada came to America, <coughs> he had to readjust many, many of the strict traditional principles in order to get the Western mind to accept on any level Krishna consciousness. So in this way, Vasudeva was showing by his example that, okay, Kamsa, you're not willing to listen to the philosophy, but I'm not going to give up on you. I'll try something else. And he started making deals with them, huh? which we're going to start reading tomorrow. All sorts of nice um, promises and everything else. Just somehow or other we have to stop this. Someone was recently asked, why Bhaktipad is doing like this? So because Bhaktipad cares about people. He sees that the Western, the American society, which is leading the world in culture, even though there's no culture, it's leading the world in culture. Let's say leading the world to no culture. He said they're racing full speed ahead to hellish existences. So what is he doing? He's trying to stop them before they fall off the cliff 
He's not concerned with orthodox means of doing it. You do whatever you have to do. If somebody's in an emergency situation and they're about to die, sometimes you can't use the orthodox medical techniques. You do whatever works. It's an emergency. Kali Yuga, this whole world is an emergency situation. And the great devotees, they'll say anything, they'll do anything to somehow or other stop people from wasting this valuable human form of life. Therefore, the Smarta Brahmins, they're not concerned with helping people. They're concerned with, with simply maintaining the, dis the, the, the distinction and the so-called dignity of their orthodoxy. And let others, they're all fallen, they're all low, let them go to hell. This is true in all great religions. In the Bible, the innocent people, they didn't know what to do. The class of men called the Pharisees, they were strictly following all these principles, strictly, strictly. Washing your hands three times before this, washing your hands three times. There were so many little details, and if you didn't do those things, my God, you were just an outcast, an untouchable, a reject. And therefore, the masses were becoming more and more ignorant, and they would just look down at them and spit, think they're low class. We are the orthodox. You should pay your obeisances to us. The difference between Jesus and them is he went right out to the to the people and just lived like them. He didn't sin, but he just lived in such a way that they could trust him. Then when he spoke, they became they became devotees of God. They surrendered. Similarly, in India, same principle. When the Muslims came, it was easy for them to convert the Hindus because the smart Brahmins, as far as they were concerned, if you are not born in a certain type of family, if you're li not living according to certain s principles, we don't want anything to do with you. You're low class. They were so proud of their own position, they didn't care about the suffering masses. And if the suffering masses weren't immediately ready to come to their traditional concepts of, of ritual, they didn't want to waste time with them. So the Muslims came and said, oh, we don't care if you are like this or like that. You just come and pray to God and you'll be saved. Ah, sounds a lot better. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he had tremendous opposition when he came. Because these smart Brahmins were saying, no, 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 you cannot chant the holy names unless you follow our rules, regulations, and unless you are born in a Brahmin family, and unless you live according to the standards that we live. And you have to pay us. And we'll do the, we'll do the fire sacrifices and everything for all your samskaras. And in this way, you, you, ha you can become gradually elevated. In the next birth, you can become like us. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he just came, went to the lowest of the low, said, as far as I'm concerned, you're better than those smarter Brahmins, just chant Hare Krishna. So, why not? He made the masses Krishna conscious. 
Although he was hated. All the great souls who, who, bring, who bring pure love of God to the people, they're hated by the orthodoxy. Not the true orthodoxy, but the pseudo-orthodoxy. Who understand the law of their religion, but do not understand the spirit and power behind it. So utility is the principle. Purity is the force. Books are the basis. Preaching is the essence. And utility is the principle. And if these four are in order, we will go back to Godhead and take so many others with us. To the pleasure of Guru and Krishna. Is there any questions? You mean in their own tradition? How God is presenting it in their scripture. And by following it, they will achieve the grace of God. If you are a follower of the Vedic scripture, in the, in the Markandeya Purana, it describes that you can offer goats to the goddess Kali. Correct? If you're do that, doing that, you're actually following religious principles. It's not a very high religious principle, but it's a religious principle. <coughs> and by doing that, you're becoming pure, you're becoming elevated. Because you're doing it under certain restrictions, and you're doing it under the sanction of the Lord. Hmm? And in the Vedas, those <coughs> Puranas in the mode of ignorance, bring us to the mode of passion. Those Puranas in the mode of passion bring us to the mode of goodness. And those Puranas in the mode of goodness, we do not find the recommendation for animal slaughter, animal sacrifice. Ultimately, they bring us to the Bhagavatam. And in the Bhagavatam, it says you cannot understand the soul if you are a killer of animals or the killer of the soul. <coughs> but understand that this is the highest scripture speaking speaking of, of, of a very, very evolved understanding of the soul. This is the scripture that takes you ultimately to the five rasas of Goloka Vrindavan. Hmm? Other scriptures are not meant to take you to the five rasas of Goloka Vrindavan. So they're not so strict in these matters. We find, if you read the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, it's filled with animal sacrifices recommended by God himself. Read the Old Testament, Leviticus. Practically the whole chapter, and it's a long, long chapter, is just how, according to different offenses and sins, you can atone for it by different types of animal sacrifice. Never to explain animal slaughter, but animal sacrifice. And these are the words of God. 
So you have to understand, for those people, they're being elevated by following those principles. Just to kill an animal to eat it is sinful, but to perform these sacrifices for the, ple for the pleasure of God, according to God, he is speaking to them in that scripture, that is a way of atonement for that class of people, endorsed and commanded by the Lord. And you see, if we just look at every religion, specifically and individually, we can see how every religion can hate the others, unless we understand the essence and purpose behind it. Just like in the Ten Commandments, we're so ready to quote that it says, Thou shalt not kill, why are you killing? Right? But what's the first two commandments? Put no other god before you except me. Do not worship idols. <laughs> right? These are the two first commandments. Put no other god before you except me and do not worship idols. Do not eat the foods that are offered to idols. So if you're going to be, if you're going to start quoting the Twelfth Commandments and say, you can't eat meat because it says thou shalt not kill, they're going to say, well, it also says you're not supposed to worship idols. Right? So in this way, unless we understand the essence of the spirit that God is trying to bring everybody to a higher position through their particular religion, then we'll simply tit for tat be fighting forever. We'll never agree on anything. They're going to see to them, to the Jews and the Muslims, believe me, it's the number one offense in the universe to worship an idol. And to a Vaishnav, it's the one of, a number one offense in the world to kill a cow. Right? <laughs> They'll never convince us to give up this because it's in our scripture. Maharaj Ambarish worshipped deities. The gopis worshipped deities. Everyone in all the great souls worshipped. Rupa Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna himself worshipped deities. But in their particular situation, the so-called deity worship was so perverted, so corrupt, so superstitious that it had to be stopped. So similarly, the idea of animal sacrifice. Prabhupada preached you shouldn't slaughter animals. But Prabhupada didn't preach you shouldn't, you shouldn't follow the scripture and have, and have the sacrifices on the holy altar. Hmm? That, although we understand it's a very low grade, according to our Shastra, of religiosity, Still, it's sanctioned by God. It's ordered, commanded by God to those people. Huh? So therefore, the real idea is that if you look at such great souls as St. Francis of Assisi and others, they were, how much faith and devotion they had to God. But they were not against meat. Huh? because they were following their scripture. St. Francis would not even allow a bird to be killed. This was his principle. He would not allow a bird to be killed. He had such compassion to life. 
But when he'd go out begging, whatever he'd be given, he'd take. That was just his particular principle of just depending on God's mercy. Now, we will not follow that principle. We're very strict. But, but look at his devotional qualities. Hmm? Because he's following what is in his scripture. He's developed, he's becoming very, very advanced. Now, we don't consider he's advanced as Rupa and Sanatana Goswami. Huh? The Vedas, the Srimad Bhagavatam, we're not talking about the Vedas, because the Vedas are talked as much about animal sacrifice practically as the Quran and the Old Testament at certain parts. But the Srimad Bhagavatam, our scriptures, are the most highly evolved Paramahamsa Samhita. Huh? These other literatures are Artakama Dhamma Moksha, with a little love of God mixed in. Huh? The lower Vedas are like that. And you could consider the Quran, the Old Testament, the New Testament, like the lower Vedas. Right? It's also Sanatana Dharma. It's the Artakama Dhamma Moksha scriptures. Now what does Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita? Even if one has faith in the demigods, which is a lower scriptural injunction, don't disturb their faith. Elevate them, but do not disturb their faith in any way. Because if you disturb it, they have nothing. At least they're on the path. Huh? We should respect and we should encourage their faith. But try to bring them to a higher platform. That is a good preacher. That is the order of Krishna. When Krishna is speaking about people who are following the lower principles of religion, Elevate them, but don't lower their faith. He's talking about not only the devotees of Durga, not only the devotees of Kali, but also the devotees of the Western religions. <coughs> hmm? Does that answer your question? Yes? And Nimbark Sampradaya also teaches like this. <laughs> the Vaishnav Sampradayas, yes. And within the Vaishnav Sampradayas, most, even the Madhva Sampradaya is teaching Narayan. The Nimbark Sampradaya and the Gaudiya Sampradaya are the two, and Balava Sampradaya also, although it's in the Vishnu Swami. Vishnu Swami essentially worshipped Narayan. But Balabhacharya worshipped Krishna. Madhvacharya accepted Narayana as supreme, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his Sampradaya um, accepted Krishna. So, yes, wherever, within these exalted Vaishnava Sampradayas, that is the only means of attaining this realization of Vrindavan. Hmm?
you don't know, you should ask someone who knows. Your problem is you're always trying to figure out everything with your mind. And you're always being, you're being frustrated moment after moment. If you're just willing to accept authority, then your mind will naturally be under control. And until you, until Arjuna was willing to just say, Krishna, I surrender, his mind was going wild. He couldn't figure out anything in regard to his duty. So that is the position of a conditioned soul. Until we, alas, just decide to surrender and inquire submissively, our mind will always be accepting and rejecting. First surrender, then ask about if a person surrendered. If a person surrendered, there's no problem. situation that we are in because of our previous desires and activities. Hmm? And the deeper we have buried ourselves in rebellion against Krishna, the more difficult it is to get out. But we put ourselves where we are. We've spent many, many births digging this hole deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Huh? And then when we finally s stop looking downward and look up and see the light and think, actually, that way is better. You're a long way. And through the mercy of Guru, Krishna's sending the rope down to you. And it's, it's a long way, but we have to hold on to the rope and we have to keep pulling, pulling upward. We have to keep going forward. Hmm? That's gravity, right? If you're trying to climb up a deep, dark well, gravity is going to pull you down. Gravity is the nature of the world. The nature of this material world is maya. She's always trying to pull you down, right? You have to go against the nature of this world if you want to be God-conscious. If you're not willing to do so, that means you're not sincere and Krishna will not help you.
And if you are willing to do so, Krishna guarantees he will take you back home, back to Godhead. In this life, if you're sincere. yourself. It doesn't matter. Difficult, easy. The chance is there. By Krishna's grace, we can get out. Hmm? And if you really feel sorry for those people that you're talking about, the first thing is you have to get out. So that you could, you could help throw the rope to them. Right? As long as you're doing the same thing, what can you do for them? Drowning man cannot cannot save another drowning man. If you really care about others, first learn to swim. Then you could save everybody. Hmm? feet of the devotees dancing upon their heads and they hear the ceiling about to break they become purified by that sound vibration little by little they are very fortunate many are taking prasad huh? they're seeing devotees and when they see the devotees they immediately think of Krishna
temptation and fear. This is how Maya controls that unconditioned soul. Yes? Was Vasudeva pure devotee? Huh? Why Kamsa didn't change? What? He changed at the end. He got liberated. Eh? After Krishna smashed him in the head with his fist. What? <laughs> but why he was... He was associating with Vasudeva for years and years and years. Vasudeva was living in his prison cell. He would, every time there was a baby, he would go down and kill it. He was sitting on a chariot, just like Arjuna and Krishna. They were sitting together. There's no difference between Vasudeva and Krishna. Guru is Guru. Vasudeva is repeating the word of Krishna. There's no difference. Potency is the same. Arjuna changed his life. Vasudeva remained the same. Right? Arjuna, Arjuna utterly surrendered to Krishna in submissiveness and humility. Therefore, he became perfectly enlightened by hearing from Krishna for those few moments. And Kamsa, because he was proud and because he still wanted to enjoy and because he still wouldn't give up his attachments, he couldn't hear anything. And where do we fit in? We're somewhere between Vasudeva Kamsa and Arjuna. Huh? If we become like Arjuna, in one moment, in the association of devotees, we'll be enlightened. Hmm? But to the degree we're like Kamsa, we're still too much attached to our own pride and we're still mo too much attached to our own um, being the lord of material nature. To that degree, the association of devotees, <coughs> we're not receiving their mercy. It's there. We're not, we're not able to comprehend or receive it because we're putting a shield in front of us. Hmm? So yes, the power of the association of devotees is that if you just open your heart and mind in utter submissiveness, you can be liberated in a moment. But if we're too conditioned to be willing to do that, then it takes time. Hmm? Little by little, gradual process. 